1: Hey, it's Ethan Skolnick for the latest episode of the Five on the Floor podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Make sure to check out all of the other content on our website. It's fivereasonsports.com. Spell it out. You're going to want to go there this week for sure because we have more NFL draft content, I can promise you, than anyone else. We've got a 7,500-word NFL draft preview with video breakdowns of the top five players at every position. So if you're curious what the Dolphins are going to do, it's got to be two, of course, You've got to go there. You can also check out all of our merchandise there. We've got 11 heat shirts, some dolphin shirts, some panther shirts, a hurricane shirt, and much, much more. And all the other podcasts in our network are there too, including the two part three yards per carry preview of the NFL draft. And our YouTube channel is something that you can find there also because it streams there directly. Now today's episode, our special episode with the great Eric Reed is brought to you in part by Keystone Chiropractic and Neuroplasticity. That's our friend, Dr. Jonathan Chung, who's a big fan of the network and has been a big supporter. And this is something that you probably need at this point. I mean, (laughs) if you're sitting on your couch all the time, you might need a low force spinal adjustment maybe even brain-based rehabilitation they get great results with post concussion syndrome dizziness of vertigo headaches and chronic neck and back pain and here's the thing a lot of chiropractors and therapists want to see you three times a week for months but Keystone has a treatment philosophy of doing just enough to get you back to a normal life again this is the biggest thing I know you're asking how am I gonna go see dr. Chung he's up uh, in the Wellington area well what you can do is reach him by video because he is offering virtual rehab visits using video conferencing to assess and prescribe effective treatment protocols throughout the COVID-19 outbreak. The research shows that patients getting a supervised telemedicine rehab program can be just as effectively treated as if they have an in-person v- visit for many pain conditions. Special promotion through five reasons special promotion you got nothing to lose. Free 15-minute video or phone consultation or well, actually, end. You can save 50% off your first virtual rehab session. So you get both 15 minute video or phone consultation, and then save 50% off your first virtual rehab session. So check out the website. It's chiropractickeystone.com. Chiropractickeystone.com. You can reach out to me on social media at five reasons, and I will get you to Dr. Chung. And also, you can find him at Dr. Jonathan Chung. And now, today's episode.
2: Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alfon Sydney, aka Al Nine Five Four. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports
0: Network.
1: Welcome back to the Five on the Floor podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. I've got Alex Toledo, one of my usual co-hosts with me today. And then I've got the voice of the Miami Heat, the great Eric Reed. Uh, We're used to hearing his voice around this time. As we're recording this episode, the regular season would have been over and Eric would have been preparing for a playoff series. But instead, he's stuck with us. So, Eric, (laughs) thank you for joining us today.
3: Hey, it's my pleasure. We, uh, we take any opportunity we can right now uh, to, to talk Heat basketball and and to take our mind off uh, this daily reminder of the seriousness of what we're dealing with.
1: So how are you uh, handling it from a work perspective? Obviously, everybody's got their own, particularly family situations. But, I mean, you're in a routine for the last 30 years. of And, and as I said, with the, with the Heat, you're always prepping for the playoffs at this time. But now we've gone more than a month. Uh, without a game, and all of the only games we get are Will Manso doing his own play-by-play of esports games on on Twitter or whatever it is that Sun Sports or or uh, or ESPN or NBA TV are putting out there. How are you kind of handling the withdrawal of this and staying sharp?
3: Well, it's it's impossible to stay sharp. Um, you know, in, in, in doing the craft that we've been doing for the last six months and, and also for the last 32 years with the heat and 40 plus years overall of my career. But you know, you pick once you are, whatever you are, I think it's like getting back on a bike and riding again. But right now there are no games to prepare for or to do. Um, so I'm doing a number of things like, like many of our heat fans out there are, I'm watching every heat rebroadcast on Fox Sports Sun. We we just went through the remainder of the regular season uh, since the season got unplugged March 11th with, with showing a, a great heat win from this past season. Every night we would have had a regular season game. And I enjoyed that because uh, it really took you back to some high points throughout different parts of the season. So early in the year, I, I watched the heat win at Milwaukee, win at Toronto, win at Philly. And it made you wonder how, how did they lose that um ability to to win quality games or pretty much any game on the road as the season progressed but so we're we're enjoying plugging back into what was a very enjoyable season. Um, Ethan, in a way, it feels just a lot like how the off season feels, um but it's it's very different as well uh, for for other reasons. But we're hopeful that it can resume this summer. We're we're extremely hopeful that next season can start um, in in a way that we can recognize and just taking it one day at a time. Ethan, we we've done some interviews with heat players. We recently uh, got to talk with Bam out of bio, which would be late last week Uh, Fox sports Sun, and the heat are using that in a variety of different platforms. We hope to continue to do that. All the heat broadcasters on the TV side are getting a chance to, to live tweet during during these Fox Sports Suns heat rewinds. Um, now they're gonna switch gears with the heat rewind and start showing all our finals wins. So we're trying to put product out there um, and just trying to stay on top of the news, which we get a little drip each day on
4: on what may or may not happen. Eric, you've been the Heat broadcaster since they started. Uh, I'm a lot younger than Ethan. I've been watching you since I became a Heat fan in the early 2000s. And uh, I know it's got to be a hard time for you without anything to broadcast, anything to commentate over. Have, have you gotten any practice? Any you caught any of the marble racing on TV? Uh, maybe some of the two, <laughs> the two K games they've been putting on Fox Sports, uh, and just to keep yourself sharp.
3: No, I have not done any fake uh, play-by-play. I save that for the later rounds of the playoffs, where I, I do it for the Heat archives. That's about all the fake play-by-play I can. I I can muster at the moment, but I do enjoy, listen, I do this during the regular season as well. After every heat game during a normal season, Fox Sports Sun replays the game uh, the next morning at 9 a.m. And and then again at noon, I always make sure to try to catch one of those replays because it it does a couple things for you, no matter when you you look at it, a, you're going to see things in that game that you may have missed uh, the night before doing it live. You get a, a more objective, more relaxed viewpoint and vantage point on which to, to just evaluate and judge the team that you cover every game. And the secondary thing, which is just as important to me is you get a chance to critique yourself in in real space and, and, and listen to how everything worked in a broadcast. Not only the things you said, but the roll-ins, all the features, all the elements that go into a game, all of us on the ETV side from our producer and director, uh, uh, the graphics guy, uh, Jax, John Crotty, myself, everybody gets a chance to really objectively sit back and evaluate your individual performance and the overall effort of that game. And that's really, really helpful. Because uh, as Rashid Wallace once said about the ball, I say it about the game. The, the tape don't lie. <laughs>
1: But well, let's get to the season that was, and you mentioned it early on And the season that may still be. We'll see what form it takes if they come back. I, I don't believe there'll be fans in the stands if they do come back, but, but I, I'm still hopeful that they'll actually be basketball played the rest of the year. I think there's a motivation to do it, but the season, quote unquote, ended at 41 and 24. Um, you were on a podcast with me prior to the season, and you made some predictions, which we're going to go through because... You nailed a lot of them. Um, There was one that didn't work out, but the other four were pretty much uh, spot on, including one that I wasn't even expecting you to bring up when when you spoke to me then. Uh, But 41 and 24, the great start, even playing reasonably well on the road, as you mentioned, some of those big wins in in hostile places against very good opponents – And then, you know, the season kind of ends with what to me symbolized what had been about the past three weeks of it, which was, you know, getting off to a huge lead and showing your potential against Charlotte and then, you know, frittering the entire thing away uh, and losing it and and even dropping a home game, which is not something they've done. Before we get to your predictions, would you say that the Heat this year – met the expectations overall that you had, exceeded the expectations? How would you view it with kind of what you thought coming into the season?
3: It's a, it, Ethan, it's a great question. It's also a hard question to answer because of the incomplete nature of it. I, I think the real judgment uh, on the season as a whole would have come, as most good seasons do, to how well you performed in the playoffs. And I, I really think no matter how many regular season games this Heat team won, success was going to be evaluated by whether they got out of the first round of the playoffs. It wasn't just simply making the playoffs. Could they get out of of round one and the battle for home court took on huge importance. I think for two teams in particular, as you look at the whole league, Miami and Philadelphia, no two teams were better at home uh, and more mediocre or less than on the road. So I thought home court was really critical to both of those teams when the season got unplugged, we had, we had a two-game lead over both Indy and Philly. And now if the playoffs do get played, home court is rendered meaningless. There will, there will be no home court. It would all be a, a neutral court thing. But right. from what we saw of the 41-24 record, for me, it exceeded expectations. And not just in the record, but just in the way the season played. I don't think any of us really uh, could forecast Bam's you know, quick rise to, to all-star status, um, or Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn's, you know, meteoric rise. Um, I don't think anybody saw those three things, things coming, or the trade that brought uh, Crowder and Hill and uh, Iguodala. Um, you know, we didn't see any of that coming. And, and the real irony for me, guys, is that I think, at least on paper, right now, this is the best Heat team we've seen this season because you've added two guys that are really helpful, I think, and Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder, uh, especially when you consider what you flipped to get them, uh, three guys that were really not contributing this season to two guys that really could make a big impact, especially come playoff time. So that is an addition. And when you plug back in a healthy Tyler Hero and – what would at this point probably be a healthy Myers Leonard. I think it's the deepest, the strongest, the most complete team we would have seen. And, and that's the pain of, of not getting a chance to see that group uh, in a collective way uh, capitalize on what they earned, a chance to compete in the playoffs. And, and I think as presently constructed, this team had a great shot to get past the first round. And, and once you do that and get a little postseason momentum In an Eastern Conference that is very balanced. Listen, the only team uh, that looked like uh, had a real edge over Miami in the regular season in the East was Boston. Uh, Against everybody else, the Heat played well. Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Indiana, Toronto. So Boston was the one impediment and not an insurmountable impediment. So I, I think the playoffs would have served up some really great drama and a really unique opportunity for this particular Heat team.
4: Eric, you mentioned the team being ahead of schedule, and that's something that I think is almost undoubtable at this point, right? I think people expected them to be a good team heading into the season, and they ended up being kind of a completely different team than I think a lot of people expect them to. They ended up being a lot better on offense than they were on defense, which is usually the other way around. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, the whole young core that you just mentioned being way ahead of schedule. So how do you feel about them? being way ahead of schedule at this point. I, I think the young core is something that is going to be, you know, mentioned a lot going forward. And I think it's going to be the core of the group outside of Jimmy Butler.
3: The young core made it more interesting, more entertaining, more unique. Uh, as, as Heat fans, I think everybody's used to, to veteran-led teams here in Miami. But the addition of, you know, we, we didn't even mention Derek Jones Jr. So you got, he's 23, Bam's 22. Duncan and Kendrick are the old guys of the young group at 25 and 24, respectively. And Tyler Hero is only 20 years old. Uh, You know, listen, the season started with everybody thinking Jimmy Butler's really going to have to carry this team. And what carried the team in Butler's regard, I think was, his the, the the one X factor for Jimmy that I did not know was, was coming was the great, great leadership. I knew he'd show great, consistent, great two-way play as an offensive player and as a defensive player. Um, He did that. Uh, His ability as a stopper stood out. Um, His ability as a a playmaker and a guy that could get not only himself to the free throw line, but because he's drawing so many fouls, he's getting the other team in the penalty and his team into the bonus, and that helps everybody. But I think the leadership was something I – didn't know quite what to expect and I thought that was a real positive for Jimmy. He he really um, infused confidence in all of those young guys. He didn't take confidence away, he gave confidence to all of them and that was a real plus. But we all wondered like how long would it take to add a second star to a perennial all-star in Jimmy Butler who doesn't have any time to waste now that he's in his 30s or 30 years old. And then the emergence of Bam. We all knew with the opportunity that he was going to take advantage of it. I don't know if anybody knew that, that other than Bam that it was going to be 16 points, almost 11 rebounds, over five assists, 57% shooting, top 20 in steals and blocks. Uh, in my view, the best ball handling playmaking big man in, in franchise history. Um, he was third among big men in assists this year behind only Jokic and uh, Giannis. So he is the second star. Um, He is not only a coach's dream because he wants to be great and win championships. He, he he has a permanent chip on his shoulder of wanting to prove this to everybody. Um, I think he's just beginning to his his ascent as a perennial all-star. I think this year you could see him, you know, winning any number of awards, including first team, all defense, uh, most improved player, um, Maybe third-team All-NBA. I think all are within his grasp. So that's what's really ahead of schedule. You already have your second star. Now it's about adding to that. And listen, there, you know, the other guys we, we've talked about, um, Duncan, n- nobody could, could could see this coming, that, you know, after making 10 threes his, his rookie year, um, playing in just 15 games, most of the year in the G League, you know he's going to become the greatest three-point shooter in your franchise history, and and a guy that was became feared and respected around the league. I, you know when well, when the Heat had a game, you know, those two games with the Spurs uh I'm I'm sorry, not with the Spurs, with with the Clippers. And in both of those games, I'm watching Kawhi Leonard defend Duncan Robinson, <laughs> and, and nothing more than that stood out to me about the respect and the meaning. That this guy both earned and had for the Heat. So he was a threat to make threes, even when he wasn't making them. He was drawing uh, big-time defensive coverage, which in itself creates opportunity for his teammates. And you know, it's like the perfect storm because his outstanding skill set, uh, being really one of the most gifted shooters we've ever seen, um, what a perfect time to to be that in, in a league that emphasizes three-point shooting and And what he improved is, you know, A, his conditioning, B, his confidence, um, and the way he moved without the ball. It was Ray Allen-like, Reggie Miller-like, Wayne Ellington-like, and uh, there's a pattern there. A couple of those guys played for Miami, right? So he he was able to learn from what Ray Allen passed down to the man with the golden arm and what Ellington passed down to Duncan. So uh, meteoric. And and Kendrick Nunn, you know – I I have to say I'm surprised, but the amazing thing about Kendrick, you know, my, the first time I saw Kendrick Nunn play was last summer. John Crowdy and I are out in Las Vegas watching summer league as we've done the last couple of years together. And, you know, everybody was just so curious to get their first look at at Tyler hero in summer league uh, in the, uh, you know, among other NBA rookies and, and young players and there you had Nun and Hero in the backcourt together. I mean, my first response was, "My God, these guys go together like milk and cookies. We, this could be the backcourt for the next 10 years. And what was amazing about Nunn, the way he, he was first team all summer league, he averaged 20 a game in, in Vegas. He played the same exact way in the preseason. Remember, he finished the preseason with a 40-point game at home against the Rockets. And, and not only did he score 40 in that game, but his body language was so cool, he, he never even smiled during a 40-point game. And that's why I knew this kid was really going to be special. And that even-keeled demeanor went along perfect with, with a very mature game for a, for a first-year guy in the NBA. Uh, I remember when, when Spo named him a starter on opening night. Um, when we had a few minutes with coach Spolster before the first game, I, I asked him, I said, coach, well, what was Kendrick's response when you told him he was an opening night starter? He said he had no reaction. And that really typifies the way Kendrick Nunn went through his business. Nothing fazed him. He went through one sort of mini slump before the all-star break. And everybody sort of wondered, is, is he real? Is it not? Is it, is it gone? And he came back really strong, you know, after the all-star break and, and, and I think in Hero and Nun, you do have a backcourt that the Heat could, could look forward to to watching for, I hope, many years to come.
1: So you went through a lot of it. And so I'm not going to go over everything you said in the preseason. But let's go over it because the <laughs> a little bit. Because you kind of said some of the – I know you're saying you didn't see Kendrick Nunn coming. But you kind of saw Kendrick Nunn coming because some of that stuff you talked about before the season. Um, When we had you on on the podcast, when I had you on the podcast, I asked you for the five things you were looking forward to. And the first one was Jimmy Butler and his leadership. So you nailed that. The second was, could Bam Adebayo take the next step and become a most improved player candidate, which he did. The third one we'll skip over. I'll get back to it in a second the four, the fourth <laughs> one was was Tyler hero and his confidence and kind of what he'd shown in summer league and whether that could be replicated and you believed it could be and then you thought eventually he might even be the starter this season which I think might have happened or at least uh, you know it didn't only I think because of the way that Duncan played Uh and the fifth one you gave me, which I was not expecting that day, was Kendrick Nunn. And, that, I mean, this was right after we'd found out he might be the starter, and everybody was kind of processing him going from a guy who was trying to make the roster to a guy who all of a sudden was you know, going to be starting for this team, and you kind of called that. The only one that didn't work out, but I don't think you were the only one on this, was Justice. Um, I, I think you and us, we felt that, what he did the last 20 games, 30 games of the previous season that he'd be, and the adversity he'd fought through that he'd be able to build on that. And that never really happened. So I'll ask this because you've kind of covered some of the things that were the biggest positive surprises of the season. I think Duncan certainly qualifies as the number one. Uh, But was that the biggest sort of downside surprise was that it just didn't happen with justice this year?
3: I guess so. You know, it's funny, before I talk about that, I, you know, the, the Nunn thing, I, You nobody's always right. Um, well, I think one of the fun things for all of us is is when you look at things like summer league or preseason, um, it is a chance for young and new players to catch your eye. And and the Kendrick Nunn uh, story is one that I'll always uh, take a little bit of personal satisfaction over just because he jumped out at me caught my eye from the first minute of the first game I saw him play. I loved his game. I loved his maturity. I loved his demeanor. Um, And I'm really happy it's worked out for him. It's a great second chance story. And I think he's just beginning to write that story. So I'm really happy that it's worked out that way for Kendrick and not that surprised, uh, but, but a little surprised how quickly that happened for him. Uh, You know, I think going into the season, I had expectations, that not only Justice Winslow would be uh, a part of something good happening here this year, I thought that James Johnson and Deion Waiters were going to be part of it as well. So all three of those guys, um, you know, to varying degrees, had very disappointing seasons in Miami, and they all, ironically, left in the same trade. With Winslow, there were so many factors, you know, as I think we projected going in. You know, he he looked adequate. Uh, to hopefully better than that as a point guard the second half of last season. I, I surmise that that would be his initial role this season. Uh, we accurately sort of assessed in preseason that Dragic was not going to be the starter, that coming off knee surgery, Spo had an inclination, which was 100% correct, by the way, to, that, that the new role for Dragic moving forward was be uh, slightly less minutes off the bench, it worked out really well for Goran and and for the team. So I thought there was a chance that Winslow would be the opening night starter at point guard, which he was, but you know, Jimmy Butler, you remember missed the first three games of the season. And then when Butler came back, well, you know, I think what simply happened is, you know, whose hands you put the ball in more Butler or, or Winslow. And, and clearly that was going to be perennial all-star Jimmy Butler. And now all of a sudden you're looking at Winslow having to probably find a different avenue to contribute. Uh, it wasn't going to be his backup point guard. That that was Drogic. So uh, there was more competition for those minutes, and then he had the injury and never had a chance to sort of reestablish and find a new lane in which he could find a way to contribute. There was such a, a path for him. He, he didn't get to take it, and now wherever he winds up, you know, and hopefully he's going to be able to play for Memphis – uh, let's say next season, but Jean Morant is going to have the ball in his hand. So right. Winslow's days at a point as a point guard may be may may or may not happen. So he's going to have to to find and embrace a role as you know a secondary ball handler, a defender, a hustle guy, uh, and a guy can do some of those other things and not rely on, on what has been the weakest part of his game, and that's, that's shooting three. So, unfortunately for Justice, the weakest part of his game is now the most accentuated part of the NBA game, and that's perimeter shooting and three-point shooting for perimeter players. So, you know, I'm hoping Justice gets healthy again and can find his way to be a contributing, productive, you know, happy NBA player.
1: All right, and when we come back from the break, I want to get into some history with Eric, and also we're going to get him to evaluate our team so that's going to be fun back in a second all right we'll get back to Eric Reed in our conversation with him in a second but before we do as we said we've got some great sponsors here at the Five Reasons Sports Network and the really terrific thing about it is they're all local they're from here they're South Florida they're South Florida sports fans you're gonna start hearing from some of them here on the podcast here over the next couple of weeks and one of them is our friend Louis Peters and he is a representative of for State Farm and of course you're familiar with State Farm and his agency represents what is the number one auto and home insurer in the entire United States. There are more than 60 years of combined experience in the insurance industry, and these are local agents that understand South Florida's unique market. We're not just like anybody else, as you know. And usually there's walk in access. Of course, we're dealing with a coronavirus crisis, but there's still 24 7 access. Call in or click in. Here are the ways that you can do that. The phone number is 305. 275 5585 Again, that's 305-275-5585. Or you can just check out LuisPeters.com. That's L-U-I-S-Peters.com. Another way to get in touch with him, you can argue South Florida sports with him. I know he's a big Tua guy. He got one of our t-shirts. At SF Agent Peters. Again, that's at SF Agent Peters. He's based right here In Miami, there are no cookie cutter solutions in insurance, and he doesn't treat it that way. It's personalized. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Heat. service tailored to every customer another great sponsor and a sponsor of this particular episode and this is someplace I think uh, that you're definitely gonna want to check out we don't recommend just any podcast as you know Um, and one of the ones we do recommend it's called lessons via leaders and it's a weekly podcast show where they interview a new entrepreneur founder or thought leader every single week. Many of the guests are local leaders here in South Florida that have built huge businesses and fostered large communities and movements. Each show features a new guest that shares with the audience valuable lessons and learnings that they've amassed over their careers. Their shows can be found pretty much everywhere you can find five on the floor. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, all of those Android apps. They've also got a video version of each episode that they post to YouTube. So check it out. It's the Lessons Via Leaders podcast. And now... Back to Eric Reed. All right, Ethan Skolnick back with Alex Toledo and Eric Reed. And before we get to our teams, for people who don't know, myself and Greg Sylvander went through and picked what we thought were 30 of the most impactful players in Heat history based on their time here, not based on their time playing for someone else. Obviously, Eric broadcasted all of these guys. Uh, And we went through it. We actually picked 29. We put four on a poll because our audience is so young. The guy who won the poll as the 30th guy was Josh Richardson. Then we took the 30 players. We evaluated 30 players, myself, Alphonse Sidney and Alex Toledo, each over the course of three episodes, picked three 11-man teams, including one wild card each. And then we had George Sedano come on and basically tell one of us, not me and not Alex, uh, that their team was garbage compared to the other two. So we're not going to make you go through the entire thing here, Eric, but we're going to throw a little bit of our teams at you because there's nobody more qualified to, to sort of engage on this and say who would win a particular competition. And we did it, Eric, based on today's game. So sort of thinking about how these guys would fit a little bit more today. And again, only what they did during their heat careers. Alex, why don't you just give Eric your starting lineup? Don't give him the whole 11 because nobody wants to know your reserves. Anyway, go with your starting lineup and then I'll give him mine I'm just curious for Eric's thoughts on this.
4: All right. Starting lineup. I've got Tim Hardaway at point. I've got the one and only Dwayne Wade at shooting guard. I've got Jamal Mashburn at the three. I've got Lamar Odom at the four and Shaquille O'Neal at the five.
1: Okay. So you process that. Eric? Not bad. It's not bad. I mean, yeah. I wrote it down
3: choose. so I can look at it. Okay. Well, right. you know, start starting with the backcourt. You got to love that. And, uh, let, let's see what you got, Ethan.
1: All right. So here was mine. And again, we're not going to give you the whole bench because I think I did better on the bench than Alex, but my starting lineup, I picked first and sixth. So the way it worked was, was a snake draft. So I picked first in the first round. So I took LeBron. Uh, the rest of my lineup is the way it turned out was Bam at the five, LeBron at the four, uh, Glenn Rice at the three, playing with LeBron, Eddie Jones at the two and Goron at the one. Hmm. <laughs> We've, left We've left him speechless. We've left him speechless. That's pretty interesting.
3: Wait, should we give him and Alf's starting lineup? Team? Okay, so
1: so we'll, we'll yeah. give him we'll give him Alf's starting lineup. Okay, Alf's starting lineup. Alf picked third, so he had third and fourth, and he went with this. is interesting. Curious for your thoughts on this. He went with Bosch and Zoe. For heat peak, mm. not Bosch and Shaq. He went, he thought it would be a better fit. Cause a lot of this came down to fit. He went with Bosch and Zoe, the rest of his starters, top of your head, Alex, uh, his three. Oh, he's got Steve Smith in the backcourt.
4: Jason the Williams.
1: Two with Jason Williams and his three is Jimmy Butler. So it's actually, it's uh, Zo, Bosch, Butler, Steve Smith, Jay Will, his starting five.
3: You know what? They're all good groups. I, I like your team. I like your starting five the best. Ethan with LeBron, Bam, Rice, Jones, and Dragic.
1: Okay. Now, why? I'm just curious for your thoughts on this because Sedano picked me too, but not because of my starters. He actually picked because of my bench, because I, I guess while we're at it, Alex, uh, my core bench, uh, I have, uh, Marley, Posey, uh, Chris Anderson, PJ Brown as two of my backup bigs. Um, I'm sorry. Now top them. Oh, Gary Payton is my backup point guard. The LeBron's going to play a lot of point for me. And then the 11th piece is eluding me, but that was basically my core. Oh, and Antoine Walker is uh, a backup
3: three. You, you guys are, you guys are breaking my heart. No, nobody drafted, uh, nobody drafted Cycli or Sherman Douglas, did they?
1: Uh, that's not true. That's not true. Cycli was drafted by Alf. Uh, he was drafted on his bench. Um, he's one of about six bigs he has on his bench. I don't know why he drafted so many bigs. They're not going to all play. He drafted Haslam, Brian Grant, and Cycli. So he's got a crowded front court uh, on his bench, and he has no shooting except Duncan Robinson on his bench. Sherman was not – I'm curious for your thoughts on this. Sherman was discussed. Uh, we all talked about Sherman, and I actually put Sherman, uh, myself and Greg Sylvander – put sherman on a poll um he put we put sherman on a poll as a uh it, along with three others which was josh richardson this was for our 30th guy josh richardson i believe bruce bowen and anthony mason and josh richardson won going away because our audience is mostly you know right right um but but i'm curious well, for your one thoughts. would sherman belong in your view
3: I, uh, you know what, I, I'd have to sit down with, you know, pen and paper and, and list my top 30. It's, that's an exercise I have never done. He, you know, that's just, I have a heart to heart connection with Sherm and Cycley, and a lot of those early players. Um, you know, there's a lot of forgotten things uh, when you have 32 years of history and those teams didn't win much. Um, but those players meant a lot to those of us that, that were around to watch this franchise from the very beginning. But, you know, the history has gotten a lot richer and, and a lot bigger things have, have gotten forgotten. I even think our second championship uh, against Oklahoma City, uh, to me, it's the stepchild of the three championship seasons. I think mm-hmm. most people tend to overlook and, and forget what the Heat did in that series. And to me, that series continues to look better. As, as time has passed when you see what, you know, Westbrook, Harden, and uh, Durant have all become.
1: Well, to that end, we just did another episode also, which I think by the time this airs, will have already aired. And you're, again, the best authority on this. There's been some, a lot of stuff put out on Twitter lately, because people are bored. And they're putting out comparisons, right? So, you know, pick one, you know, start one, bench one, cut one. And it's like, Dwayne's career, Kevin Garnett's career, Dirk Nowitzki's career. And then there was another one the other day that got some argument on who would win, the 06 Heat or the 09 Lakers, two of these championship teams. But the one that really caught my eye and Alf and I ended up doing a podcast about was uh, Andy Bailey of Bleacher Report put up what he viewed was the 10 best starting lineups of the past 20 years. And he didn't have a Heat starting lineup on it. Uh so so it's like the big three did not happen. He had three Warriors lineups, a Cavs lineup, a Celtics lineup, a couple of Lake three Lakers lineups, and it got Alf and I to thinking. I feel like that era for as big as it was, and we were the center of the basketball world, as you know, Eric, for four years, right? Everybody was here. You had Heat Index, you had uh, you know, everything LeBron said, everything Spo said, everything Dwayne said, everything Chris said. And then I feel like it's kind of like you said a little bit whitewashed. Um I, I feel like the national media, it's like it almost didn't happen. When LeBron's talked about with championships, it's like, well, the 2016 was the most important because Cleveland hadn't won in 50 years or, you know, the Lakers are relevant now. That's more important than the late Heat having been relevant. Do, do you do you feel that at all? Because I know how you feel about the organization. I know Heat fans feel it, but I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, as big as the Heat were, and I thought they were the biggest team in the world for four years, any team, that they are the stepchild a little bit. Have you sensed that?
3: Not really. I, you know, it reminds me of one of Pat Riley's favorite quotes about how true warriors don't live in the past and, and welcome to, you know, witnessing something that was historic and then have it, you know, be a house on the side of the road that you have passed. So I think that's been one of the things that I've enjoyed most about uh, this, this, you know, time suspended for us right now, watching, Watching replays of the Heat's Big Three era, in particular the 2013 Finals uh, when the Heat beat the Spurs in what I consider, if not the best, certainly in the discussion of one of the best NBA Finals ever. Um, you know, at minimum, you had seven future Hall of Fame players in that series, two future Hall of Fame coaches, and in, in Pop and Spo, and a series that had so much drama some of the biggest plays ever made on the championship stage. So for me, that will never get lost. Um, I I think that will always be looked back at as one of the great championship battles ever. It was, it was classic, two of the great, you know, franchises and organizations in in the NBA colliding like that in the first of, of two back-to-back finals. So I I don't think it's been lost. I, I think just time moves on and, and we're not that right now. And and guess what? Nobody is. Golden State's uh, going to be feeling the same way you and and many Heat people might feel. Like, hey, they forgot about us. And that's not forgotten. It's recorded as a part of the great history of this you know terrific league. So I think the Heat has secured its spot um, as a historical franchise. And and those four years, yeah, time has moved on and marched on. But but that team. That era uh, will not be forgotten. I think the 2013 finals will will serve as the torch for, for
4: that entire four-year era. Um, Eric, one last question, since you're talking about the finals here. Is there anything you would like to add about the 2006 finals? If, have you watched – have you done any rewatches on that series? Um, Dwayne Wade and what he did in that finals um, – is there anything you want to add there as far as his performance, uh, seeing the guys from that team—Jason Williams and James Posey and Gary Payton, Antoine Walker—that's a team that we've been talking about a lot recently with the draft episodes and kind of, uh, you know, Ethan being somebody who was against it at the time. And I think it would be <laughs> interesting to hear from your you, perspective. You
1: you have to bring that up that I that I didn't like the <laughs> trades in the in, in the in the in the O five off season. Anyway, forget that. Go ahead, Eric.
3: Well, Antoine brought me one of one of my favorite calls ever, and the first time I saw it and thought it is when I said it when I when I labeled his three as a tippy toe three because he didn't even leave his feet; he would just rise up on his toes to shoot it. But yeah, listen, I, I that team will be one of my favorite teams for all time. Uh, there's something special about your first championship. There was a lot special about about that for Miami. Um, the, a couple of things that jumped to my mind first is Ron Rossin and Alonzo Mourning. I felt like they were two of the most deserving people in the world, that they were brought back and that they were part of, big parts of the Heat's first championship. Of course, Ronnie was the first head coach in franchise history and had the toughest task in the history of the franchise coaching uh, when the team was an expansion team, going through those first three years with fifteen, eighteen, twenty-one wins, um, so he deserved that, and and no player deserved it more than than Alonzo, who was the fire-breathing, uh, fire-starting catalyst big man, you know, for the franchise when when Pat brought him in. One of the, the probably the first big thing that Pat did, besides taking the, the job with Miami, was acquiring a franchise centerpiece to to build around. So they both. Came back in their encore and were part of that team. The second thing that jumps out at me, the, the the sheer greatness of Dwayne Wade. He averaged almost forty points a game in the four victories. At that, that was the pinnacle of his career. Um, there was nobody better than than Dwayne at that time in the NBA, and that was one of the great finals performances in NBA history. And the last thing is just remembering, you know, the the folklore and the, and the legend of it. Down o2. And and the stories of Pat Riley at the heat's practice in Miami before game three, uh, just telling the players June 20th, June 20th, that's when we're going to win the NBA championship. And that was four, four games uh, beyond where they were. And he put that out there to his team. And then the, the one suit, one shirt, one tie, the whole, the whole drama of, you know, approaching game six on the road up three, two, and, and how Pat handled the team and, Think about that whole scenario there. He was in it once before with his Knicks going to Houston for a, for a game six and game seven. So think about it. how do you handle your team going to the American Airlines Center in Dallas for game six? I mean, how Pat handled it was bags on the bus, uh, check out of the hotel, bags on the bus. We're going home with a championship after game six because that subliminal thing of of not doing that would would be in Pat's mind. Uh, putting that seed of doubt that maybe we are coming back for game seven and of course winning it on the road. Listen, the other two championships came at home and that was beautiful. And and I'm happy that that happened for Heat Nation and the 20,000 people in our building to get to feel that and experience that joy. But there was something sort of personal and special about that first championship coming on the road, where, listen, all of Heat Nation enjoyed it from wherever you watched it on TV, but to be in that building, and for me, I was doing a, you know, a fake broadcast for the Heat archives, and I was all the way up at the top of the the arena, and not a very good broadcast location, and to try to contain the exhilaration on my escalator ride down with Jason Cohen, a a former Heat employee at that time. He was he was sitting up there with me. And the fact that we made it from the top of the building down to the floor in one piece, uh, I'll be forever thankful for. And 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 then by the time I got down to the court, I saw my broadcast partner, Tony Fiorentino on the back of the stage with the Heat players. And unbeknownst to anybody, uh, you know, I jumped up on the back of the stage with him. And I don't think there's a picture of that anywhere, but Tony and I will always hold that near and dear to our hearts that We were standing on the back of the stage behind our team uh, enjoying that moment. Uh, It's just going to be a high point memory uh, for those of us that were there and for Tony and I, for sure. All
1: right, Let's close here, Eric. And again, nobody can predict the future. We can't even predict what's going to happen this afternoon, right? I mean, we've been thrown as Eric Spolcher said on a conference call. I mean, everybody's just living minute to minute right now and trying to make sure everybody's okay. But there have been a bunch of scenarios, at least, that have been put out about the league, and maybe even by the time this airs, one of them will be clearer. And I'm just curious real quick for your opinions on these. Uh, Is your feeling, if there's any way to play, that there are certain things, if you have to sacrifice them, you do this year, for instance, if there are no fans? Okay, if, as you said, and this didn't even occur to me, what you said earlier in the podcast, that all this talking about home court advantage the entire season, and most likely there's not going to be, well, not most likely, there's not going to be any home court advantage this year. So all of that was for naught, and the NBA would, ha- I guess, have to find out if they had some kind of a playoffs, find some way to reward the team that finished with a better record. I would assume. I mean, to at least make all. I don't worth. know
3: how you. I don't know how you can. I mean, on a, I on a neutral site. I, 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 unless well, you so have I, a series
1: they, where somebody starts up one zero. I mean, that's to me. That's the. I mean, right? I mean, that's the only
3: thing. You can do. I, I, I guess I can't, I can't see that happening, Ethan. But but listen, uh, to think about teams picking up where they left off. Here is the intriguing part of it. You know, are your players uh, staying connected and keeping their fitness level up? So when you get that twenty-five day period, if you do to get ready, you are ready. Um, I, you know, what intrigues me about it is the Eastern Conference, in my view, was was as open and available for any one of a number of teams to win this year than it has been in a long time. So I take my chances with this heat team. So I, I hope they get that opportunity. Um, it's hard to imagine fans being back in the stands and, and for the league to just pick up sometime this summer, exactly where it left off mm-hmm. traveling around to the other 29. So I don't, I don't think anybody sees that. Uh, I mean, I hope we can get to that when next season begins and then there's even some doubt about that right now. So I I guess I don't really have any predictions. Uh, We just have hopes and and aspirations and, and we, we hope it returns Uh, not only for our individual uh, selfish reasons to want to go back to work, but for everybody to have the enjoyment of of watching NBA basketball again, it would be a, a positive move. It would show that we are at that point where we can take that next step. And obviously, as we as we speak today, we're not there yet. But, you know, one day at a time and and, you know, smarter minds than ours, for sure. And and I have great trust and respect for for Adam Silver's judgment. And when you think about it, it was his pulling the plug on the season, March 11th, that I think really sort of opened everybody's eyes around America, that this was something we had to pay much closer attention to than And most people were at that time. So I'm, I'm proud of what Adam did and, and that the NBA led the way and, and guess what? Maybe, maybe the NBA will, will help lead the way back at at some point. And we hope, we hope that sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah. To me, he's the best commissioner in sports and and maybe the best commissioner or one of the best commissioners all time. Uh, Final thing after the final thing, because as you mentioned is I'm just curious about this, that final game against Charlotte, how much did you know? Uh, as you were doing the broadcast did you know what had happened with Rudy Gobert and the situation in Oklahoma City because we started to find out in the crowd and I said to I was talking to the ushers and I'm like this will be our last game this this year like it just it it felt like that even coming into the arena that night to be honest there was less traffic coming into the arena it felt like some people weren't going out anymore and I just didn't think it was going to accelerate that quickly but then the Gobert thing kind of pushed it over as what were you experiencing what did you know were you following social media
3: Yes. Yes. Well, listen, let me start from, from that whole night for me. And I, and I talked to Bam out of bio about when did the players find out? And I've heard some different versions of that story. Bam told me that he was not aware of it till he walked into the locker room after that disappointing loss to Charlotte. And that's when he found out. Um, and it was He said, guys, you know, some of the people that were in the locker room waiting for the team to get back, were already wearing protective equipment. And I think the serious nature put that awful loss and made it, you know, very, very secondary. For me, even going into the game, I remember driving from, I live in Boca Raton as I'm driving down that night. And we already knew that the, the, the San Francisco and the Golden State Warriors had already come out with a declaration that their next home game would not have fans in the stands. So we knew, I think everybody knew this was the next step. Uh, that was probably going to happen. And, and I thought to myself driving to the game, well, in the short term, we're in good shape. We'll, we'll still be able to televise and it's going to be important to, to keep the fans into it. If they can't be there, at least they can enjoy it on TV. And then that flash thought went through my mind is what happens when that first player tests positive. And that's how tenuous it all was. Now we're about ready to go on the air. John and I are getting ready to sit down and, and, and do our open for the game. And I remember looking up into the stands that night, fully thinking, this is going to be the last game we play with fans in the stands this year. And I looked up, what was a, it wasn't a great crowd. It was a very good crowd, though, all things considered. And part of me was heartened by that, and part of me was really concerned by that and, and thinking, like, maybe this isn't right. Now, during the game, I always have my iPad alongside, and I, keep it, I check Twitter at, at almost every time out because I'm following writers that are at the game. Um, fans obviously can get in touch with you on Twitter. So between uh, what people are writing about, what fans are thinking and, and tweeting about, and what else is going on around the league, and and also checking scores of other games as you get later into a season, all of that's important. And that night, what I was really waiting for to s- was an announcement from the league about, this will be the last night with fans in the stands. That's what I was really bracing for. but Our game, if you remember, started uh, an hour earlier than Oklahoma City and Utah. And the first sort of warning signal, and it was a strong one that I saw that night during our telecast, was that the Oklahoma City-Utah game had been uh, postponed. And both teams, so I'm aware that both teams were out on the court warming up, and then that both teams went back into their locker rooms. I was like, wow, I wonder what that's about. And then within a half hour of that, uh, it comes out that Rudy Gobert tested positive and that hit me right between the eyes. And that was that, that was that one piece of the NBA's Jenga puzzle that if you pulled that out, the whole thing came tumbling down. And, and now, you know, it was, it was as unusual a broadcast as, as I've ever been through in 32 years with the heat and 40 plus years as a, as a basketball announcer, where now you're, You're conflicted um, and you're put to a different test, too, because the game you're broadcasting all of a sudden became secondary to this huge story that was unfolding in real time uh, with no time to plan. And so between myself and our crew and and our leadership of Ted Ballard and AJ Speaks in the truck, uh, we would talk about it, um, uh, you know, at commercials over the talkback system. And and how do we cover this? How do we hit And we made the decision. I'm going to take full accountability to go with that information. I felt like it was really important to document that story. And so I told the story about Oklahoma City in Utah. I reported that it's being reported that Gobert tested positive. And so we kept people up to the minute with that. And that had us all on our toes. And and, and to do some of your best and most credible work at, at a time of great duress. And it really made, you know, what was the worst loss of the season at home almost meaningless by the time the game ended because I would say halfway through the fourth quarter is when the NBA put out a tweet that the league would be suspending operations following the games that night. And of course, we reported that on the broadcast as well. So there was a lot that went into the the, the final quarter and a half of of the last game we, we called. And it was a very strange and surreal night. And when the game ended, You know, we all have our post-game routines. Mine always ends with a a trip up to the family lounge, uh, get a bottle of water for the ride home. Usually I'll spend 10 to 15 minutes up there to let the traffic die down. I think all the heat broadcasters met up there that night, and we sat around uh, for for over an hour. And I don't even think there was that much conversation, but it was sort of a a stunned semi-silence. And they get five, six broadcasters into a room, and it's quiet. You know what an unusual moment you're in.
1: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And like I said, when I was talking to the ushers that night, uh, Alex, did you go to that one? No, right? Um, I think you and Alf did not. I was the only one there Uh, when I was talking to. Utah game.
4: Yeah, no,
1: no, no, the the Charlotte game, the Charlotte game, when everything happened in Utah. Yeah, because I I was talking to the ushers that night, and and by then they kind of knew it was like, see you next year, Um, and. You know, that turned out to be the case. I hope there's basketball this year. I know people miss you, Eric. Um, I appreciate you coming on again. I also appreciate you picking my team because now I'm two for two on that. And uh, and hopefully the next time, uh, you know, I'll, I'll see you. I don't know if they're going to, I don't, you know, I'm assuming the broadcasters will be involved with everything that goes on if, if games come back. I don't know if the media will be let in. I mean, nobody knows anything. So, uh, but hopefully.
3: No, we'll, don't we'll know. Don't know person. if we'll be there or if we'll be remote. But, you know, wherever any of us will be, I think I can speak for all of us in the media. Um, we and, and all of us that care and love the game and whatever game it is, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, lacrosse, all the spring sports that, that got unplugged in, on the collegiate and high school level. We all just want to get back to, to doing the things we love, uh, doing the things that maybe some of us took for granted and, and we won't any longer. Um, we're all looking forward to that next, that next game and that next day where we can get back to, to what we all enjoy doing so much.
1: Eric, thanks a lot. Be safe. Hope your family is safe. And again, uh, we appreciate you doing this.
3: Same, Ethan. Keep up the great work, Alex, too. And I I like that little slogan that's out now alone together. We are all in it together. We're all hoping to get, get out the, the back end of this unscathed and uh, wishing everybody to stay home, stay safe. And most of all, stay healthy and take care of yourselves and your loved ones.
4: Take care. Thanks, Eric.
3: Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Fire Regional Sports Network.
0: Say goodbye